0: Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Hello, Cat.
1: Hi there.
0: I have a quick question, actually, before we get going, if that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. You you really like the movie Signs? Yeah, I do. Ah, uh, me too. I thought I was like a minority. I get a lot of flack for it. A lot of people like the other uh, M Night stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is the hill that I will die on. I think it's one of his best. I think it's like perfect, basically. Mm-hmm maybe minus maybe minus the ending <laughs>
0: but yeah yeah it's
1: a great movie
0: but uh, there's just these little touches that he throws i mean we're off topic now but there's these little touches that he throws in there like um just the fact that like when mel gibson's putting on his jacket or something and you see the outline of the cross that's like kind of been hanging on the wall and it's like been faded over time but he removed the cross so you just get that like faded mm-hmm. thing and it's just like that symbolizes like his lack of faith as much as anything else it's a really well done movie
1: yeah yeah i mean what i love about it is that he manages the balance where things are really 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 tense and then something funny happens to release the tension so well um, there's all these little moments like that mm-hmm. so yeah big fan
0: all right okay good i'm not alone so uh, we will high-five. no you are not okay we will high five at the end of this uh for science so yeah let's go Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan and today I'm ecstatic to be joined by Kat Rosenfield. She and a certain dude named Stan Lee just put out a book called A Trick of Light, and uh, we're going to get into all this good stuff. But you've actually had a really good September, because not just Trick of Light uh, with Stan Lee came out, but you also started writing for EW,
1: Um, I've actually been a recapper at EW for a few years now, I want to say. But I am very, very happy to be back for the maybe fourth season in a row, recapping American Horror Story, which is one of my favorite fall series. So, yes, I am having a nice, busy, wonderful fall.
0: So I want to understand, like, what is the purpose of, like, a recap page or, or like, doing a recap? Is it, like, Talking Dead? Like, we're... Uh, You talk to some of the people or like, how does it work? What's the point of it?
1: Yeah, I know it's basically it's for people who watch the show, but also want to talk about the show, want to read about what happened in the show. Um, There's a little bit of analysis involved in it sometimes um, or, you know, if it's a Ryan Murphy series, usually um, maybe a little less analysis and a little more joking around about how ridiculous what's happening on screen is,
0: Mm -hmm. especially for a show like this.
1: Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. But it's very much for the fans. I don't think that people read recaps because they want to find out what happened because they didn't watch the show and they need to be caught up. Um, I guess maybe some do. But I think that most of the people who read recaps read them because they watch the show and they love the show and they want to revisit it from as many different angles as possible. It's just part of the whole fan experience.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And you can do that because it's it's a weekly show, right? It's not like the Netflix thing where like they just dump it all. Here's like 10 episodes and then go have a good time.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny. When, um, when uh, Netflix dumps a show all at once, um, EW does something called a binge recap, which is basically you watch all of the episodes and you write them all up in a very, very mm-hmm. short amount of time.
0: It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I could imagine, yeah. So this is much nicer now, just week by week. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more manageable. So uh, we've already chronicled the fact that you're in the room with EW, but you also ended up in a room with Stan Lee for the book A Trick of Light. So how how do you end up in in a room with Stan Lee, just hanging out?
1: Well, I mean, this is great. Kind of saga of a project coming together. This is a, an all new superhero universe and a new superhero origin story. And the origin story of the origin story is really cool. It all began with Stan and Luke Lieberman, who met Stan back when he was in college. They had this long standing mentorship over the course of more than a decade. And they'd always wanted to collaborate together on something, not sure what at the time. And then um, a few years ago, uh, they sort of returned to the idea of working together and settled on doing something very centered in digital culture. You know, you hear Stan in the beginning of the Trick of Light audiobook that released in June saying, what is more real, a world we're born into or when we create ourselves? And that was the kind of what-if question that spawned the entire premise of A Trick of Light. This idea that the internet has allowed us to create new realities um, and, and to kind of curate those realities and our identities within them. So that was the genesis of the idea, which began several years ago and Stan and Luke started to sort of noodle on it. Ryan Silbert, a, a filmmaker from New York, got involved. And then once they had decided that they wanted this to be a long form story, not a comic book, not a TV series, but a novel, they brought me on board to write. So that was where I came
0: in. How does it work then when you have four people, like you're a good writer, Stan Lee's a good writer, like how are you balancing uh, story inputs, uh, ideas, characters, where this is all going? How do you make it seem like seamless? Like when you're baking a cake, you start off with Uh, eggs and flour, and I don't know what else goes into baking a cake, but then eventually those ingredients become all seamless and it becomes a tasty cake. So how did you make a tasty cake with four individuals like that?
1: You know, seamless is the word, and um, it just kind of goes to show what kind of amazing things can happen when you have four really creative and really different people all, you know, contributing to a project, bouncing ideas off of each other. This was basically like storytelling as a team sport, which was so much fun, and of course we had the most experienced storyteller of all time, sort of leading up this team, helping to guide us through the process. So without, you know, kind of going into the nitty gritty, like really pulling back the curtain on what that was like, which I think kind of, you know, ruins the magic of it a little <laughs> bit. Basically, you know, we all contributed ideas. We spent a lot of time talking about this. You know, we created this extensive roadmap, not just for where this story was going, but for what kind of a universe this is, who these characters are. And then it coalesced into our very first story where you meet Cameron, you meet Mia, the characters who um, you know, who have their first adventure together in a trick of light.
0: Yeah, so it's interesting because Stanley of course is known for many things, co-creating the Marvel Universe with many collaborators. But one of the primary characters he's kind of synonymous with is Spider Man. It's like a 15 year old kind of losery type kid who obviously gets bitten by a radioactive spider and then he's off, he goes and ends up with Mary Jane and everything's amazing. But he, he kind of goes full circle uh, with the creation of uh, Cameron because it's another like slightly nerdish youth now. It's a little bit more updated. It's not the chemistry set anymore now. He's a YouTube star or trying to be a YouTube star. And um, he gets hit by lightning and basically becomes like. Another superhero. So it's kind of neat that Stan Lee's work got to go full circle in a weird way.
1: Yeah. I mean, what's great about, I think, you know, what makes this such a classic Stan Lee story is that you see those echoes in Cameron of Peter Parker and of Tony Stark and of somebody like the Hulk. All of these heroes struggle with identity. And that's really what this story is about. You know, when you wear the mask, when you're not wearing the mask, which Mm -hmm. of these is the real you?
0: Yeah. So I'm-
1: with Cameron, this is taking place in a digital world. The masks we wear online are not necessarily physical. We have these avatars that represent us in cyberspace. But um, you know, similarly, you come up against these questions of who am I in this space? Is this the real me? Um, are the people I'm interacting with knowing me, understanding me, and are they real? Because mm-hmm. when you're on the internet things can get a little
0: fuzzy that way yeah and it's also at a time the main character cameron he's uh, 17 he's graduating high school he actually has his high school graduation uh in the story hopefully it's not a spoiler alert but uh but he's at the end of high school basically and he also meets a really pretty girl who is also 17 yeah and so they're also at that stage of life where like they're supposed to kind of be going off to college and solidifying their identity a little bit more, but it's still malleable at that point because you're trying to figure out what you want to do at college, uh, who you want to be when you grow up, basically. And so the characters are at a really pivotal time, not just in terms of their online identities, but their offline identities as well. So it's kind of interesting tension between the two.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that's um, reflective really of how it is for kids right now, you know, who are navigating both Meet space and digital space and trying to find a way to make them cohere
0: so why don't you give us like an elevator pitch have you gotten better at? because li- there's a lot that goes on in this book so even i had a hard time like because friends would be asking me like how's that new stanley book i'm like oh, there's like so much going on i don't know how to like boil it down to like this happens uh so do you have an elevator pitch or do you have a way of summarizing kind of what happens because there's a crazy amount that goes on in this
1: I mean, my my pitch for this book is 100% spoiler free, which is, you know, that you have two young people, Cameron and Mia, who both have extraordinary gifts and they come together and their connection is powerful enough to either save the world or to destroy it. So high stakes, just like any classic Stanley story. And uh, you've got young people dealing with issues of identity, of connection, you know, you have the intergalactic threat element. And I should stop talking now because I'm going to end up spoiling something. So let's cut
0: it there. Okay, you're really good. Yeah, that was pretty, you, you did a good job there. That was really solid. Thank you. And the title, of course, is A Trick of Light. And you've already alluded to this a little bit. But i I'll say it because it just happens within the first chapter, first two chapters, basically. But um, the kid Cameron that we've been talking about, he gets his uh, superpowers from a bolt of lightning. So is the, is the title A Trick of Light, is that about like how he kind of got his superpowers? Or is it kind of what you've been also talking about, which is the, the Internet and how it's kind of let us down a little bit, how it was marketed to us as this great thing. And we would be able to have all this wisdom and knowledge and like meet people and hang out. And then now it's just, like, this receptacle for, like, cancel culture and porn, basically.
1: <laughs> oh, God, that's a, that's a little bit sleek. Um, I mean, I still <laughs> think that the internet is great in a lot of ways. But um, to return to the question of the title, yeah, you know, it does absolutely work on multiple different levels. There's a lot going on there. But thematically, when we talk about A Trick of Light, we're talking about illusion, distraction, and one of the things that really struck Stan as this concept was coming together that you know we used to look up at the stars for answers and now we're looking down into the palms of our hands at our phones all the time and you know that's drawing us sometimes away from what matters you know your you know everything that happens on the internet is in that respect a trick of light
0: mhm well that's interesting Stan I guess remained curious he he observed culture. I mean, like you see it the way the early Marvel stuff was, the way he reflected culture. And I guess he always had a way of like, even though he created a lot of stuff and sculpted our culture a lot, he seemed to have a way of stepping back as well and just kind of observing. Is that kind of more accurate?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he was always observing and always asking questions. And, you know, one of the things that that made this project special was that you know he had gone from observing the the nascent of the internet and all of the promise that it had to connect and inspire us and then to see the ways that it had failed to fulfill that promise you know as we were coming into 2015 2017 2018 you know the, the things were not um, not as advertised on the internet
0: mm-hmm. Was the original premise for it to become an audiobook or was it always supposed to become like a novel or like you said you guys didn't want to do an audiobook initially so you moved away from that medium but what was the first uh, medium that you were looking to do it for?
1: So this was originally conceived as an audiobook original and uh, was released on Audible in June. And the the thing that was great about this and what drew Stan to that idea was that I mean, for one thing, it was um, a medium that he had never worked in before. And I mean, by, by that point in his life, finding a medium that Stan had not worked in was a phenomenal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing was that this is a very contemporary story, you know, it's very immersed in digital culture, in youth culture, in, you know, life as affected by the internet. But an audio book is a return to the, the most original, essential, elemental form of storytelling, you know, to have one human voice telling you a story. And that was appealing, you know, for all of us as creators, that we were combining this incredibly digital premise with something sort of ancient people sitting around a campfire passing down stories orally and also it reminded stan of the radio plays he used to listen to in his youth so that was exciting to him
0: yeah that is cool this might be a dumb question but is there a big difference between like setting up and writing an audio play or teleplay and then writing a novel is it or is it very similar
1: for me as a writer, this was apart from the sort of team element and some sort of like minor technical things where, you know, you're considering that the story is going to be read aloud. So how you construct it um, can, can change a little bit uh, depending on if you, like, you can't rely on visual cues. If you're, for instance, you know, creating a sort of like a scripted scene where you've got people exchanging things, um, you know, it's. If somebody's reading that aloud, you have to consider how it conveys, how the information conveys. But the actual, um, the the writing of the audiobook manuscript, it was just telling a story, um, you know, the same way that I've done in my previous work. Then when it came time to release the print edition, we were able to go back and be a little more expansive in places where we had to, you know, to be more mindful of the fact that Yara Shahidi, our our wonderful reader, was going to be reading the story aloud. We were able to, you know... Add bonus material, add new chapters, um, flesh out scenes in a way that wouldn't have worked so well for, um, you know, a a voice reading, Mm -hmm. but that work well when you're reading it on the
0: page. And is this something we can expect more of? Like, this is uh, the Alliance's universe. That's something that's real and we can expect more stuff? Because obviously Stan, unfortunately, passed away about a year ago.
1: Right. Well, you know, we were so lucky to finish this project while he was still with us. We got to see, you know, how excited he was about the story that we were all telling together. And, um, you know, because so much work took place before he passed to flesh out this universe to really bring these characters to life. We have this great roadmap, and there is indeed going to be a sequel, which I will also be a part of the writing process for. So we don't have further details on that, but it's happening, and people should keep an eye out for it.
0: Nice, it's amazing the way uh, you describe working with Stan. Uh, like he was excited that this book was coming out or this project was coming out. Like. It's still a thrill for him. Like you said, he's worked in all these different mediums. He's done mega movies, like the cameos, all these things. And it's still a thrill for him to kind of see something new kind of come out into this world or just about to come out in this world. It must be really infectious.
1: Yeah, I mean, his his excitement and his enthusiasm, like it's impossible to, to work with him and not get kind of infected by it. It really was contagious. And, you know, knowing and seeing how excited he was about this project, now that it's come fully to fruition and the audiobook is in the world and the print book is in the world, um, it really feels like he's still present in this moment. You know, the excitement surrounding it is so much, um, you know, like he's really, he feels like he's there.
0: Mm -hmm. When I was uh, summarizing the internet, (laughs) he said there was a very bleak summarization of the internet. Like so you you kind of alluded to it a little bit but like you're able to have the uh, I guess balance is the right word in terms of how you approach the internet whether from the way that it was initially promised to us to the way it is now you can see both things good things and bad things with the internet
1: Oh absolutely I mean just think about how many amazing dog videos you've seen <laughs> online that you would never have seen if not for the internet I mean mm-hmm. there's a lot of great stuff on the internet it's unfortunate that because we're all now communicating with these screens as an intermediary, that's changed the way we connect with each other. And this is something that we you know, try to explore in the novel, that the Internet has changed human communication and how we relate to each other in ways that We've only just started to reckon with, and I don't think that anybody fully understands yet It's going to be a while before we really figure out what this has done to us and and what to do about it, you know how to how to kind of make it work as a communication tool, but in the meantime, it's not all bad
0: mhm no, for sure, I agree with you on that I think, yeah, I think sometimes too one of the, one of the things is like with the internet the the worst parts of it seem a little bit louder. Like the way the angry, the angrier voices and things like that, because it's the the dog videos don't speak as loudly. If that makes more sense.
1: Right. I mean, outrage travels online so much faster than than any other emotion. And I think the question is is that because of the internet, or is that because of the people on the internet? You know, it's it's unfortunate that the internet provides an outlet in a lot of cases. For human beings to kind of indulge their worst impulses but i mean it's, it's an ongoing debate i think is that the fault of the tool or is it the fault of the people using it
0: yeah and uh, this kind of picks up what you're saying like um when you're talking about stanley and secret identities and people using like going online as an avatar and having a secret identity online but stanley didn't just create a lot of superheroes you also created a lot of super villains and i think People kind of forget that. They always kind of just wrap up his legacies. Like he created like Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and all these really, really noble things. But he also created some evil people too though. Obviously because the superheroes need to fight something. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to as well. Like there is this, the internet is basically like a universe where there's superheroes and supervillains.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we all and you know we're all complex. We all have light and dark inside of us, which I think is not a Stan Lee line, but a Harry Potter line. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with it, <laughs> mixing the franchises a little bit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, I I think the the what's great about Stan's characters, including his villains is that they're complicated. But they're human, and I think one of the things that we sought to do in this book was to tell a story where everybody is relatable you know everybody has something about them that feels human even the characters who aren't necessarily human beings
0: Mm -hmm. i think that's a better way to put it because that's the i think that's the tension uh sometimes is going on especially with social media where it's just the the um the ability of the sometimes the online experiences to dehumanize us right so you just see groups Mm -hmm. or people as like a monolith like trump voters or something like they just all like like some sort of borg hive mind Ah, uh, there you go. I'm mixing up the franchises, like you. So it's like they—it's just kind of like one large like blob, but it's not like what you're saying is the opposite, which is that everyone is actual actually an individual, but we sometimes, especially online, kind of overlook that.
1: Yeah, we do. You know, and it's it's one of those challenges, one of those things about how we communicate online that um, I think you know people are eventually going to have to reckon with, and hopefully we'll come out in a better place on the other side.
0: Mm-hmm. It's always weird because it's like. I existed in a time before the internet. Uh, I'm a little older than you, but I existed in the time before the internet. And to say something innocuous, like I like a lot of war movies, but I don't, I didn't enjoy Hurt Locker, would normally in the 80s and 90s would have been a pretty like whatever statement, and people like, yeah, I'd like the movie or didn't like the movie, or whatever. But now it's like this weird thing where this one person will come out and just like go way over the top and like, well, you didn't like it because it's a women director and you don't like women direct and i'm like where did all that come from like it's a weird thing that people feel comfortable just kind of jumping instead of like just going to obvious we're like well did you see saving private ryan that was a good movie or like other recommendations it's it's just this weird little bit of logic or lack of logic i guess to be able to just jump and make these weird conclusions all
1: right well Oh, I was going to say, I think that that what you're talking about is a lack of charity, um, which I think is one of those things that happens when you have a bunch of people who are removed from each other by screens and and also possibly by thousands of miles and and lots of different life experiences um, where people are just inclined to give each other a little grace. Um, but I'm also I'm also not sure that I'm actually as young as you think I am, um, because I definitely was in high school before the Internet became a thing that was available. So I definitely do remember. A time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, online. Yeah.
0: But you you you've been kind of. I, so what I don't know what the right word is, then, based on what we've been talking about, what? Um, You've been either kind of pushing back or kind of uh, critical of like cancel culture, for example. That's some of the things you've been writing about or been talking about in the last little while. Is that the right word?
1: I mean, cancel culture is an interesting phrase that, that I think is still poorly defined.
0: How do you defining it?
1: <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I, I actually am about to, I'm about to write about this and I'm still sort of organizing my thoughts on it. So I don't want to to necessarily talk about it too much because mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be putting pen to paper soon and, and it, you know, like a lot of writers, I express myself better when I've had a chance to kind of work through things that mm-hmm. way. But I think, you know, and it, it goes back to what we've been talking about and, you know, what um, some of the scenes in A Trick of Light are, that the internet, you know, does make it easy to dehumanize people and it's changed the way that, for instance, an offensive comment is received. Um, right now, if you made a, a dumb joke, a bad joke at a party 10 years ago, um, there may be somebody who remembers it vaguely. One or two people maybe remember it and remember that it was embarrassing. But mm-hmm. if not... It's not right there. It's sort of it sort of disappeared down the memory hole. And that was life before the internet. Mm-hmm. Now you have an offensive tweet written ten years ago that people are reading and receiving and responding to you as though you wrote it yesterday. And that does things obviously to the way that people communicate, to the way that people respond. And um it it makes it difficult to deal with especially when it's happening on this enormous scale you have potentially millions of people and you saw this in for instance um what happened to justine sako you know who tried to tried to make a joke lampooning her own white privilege
0: The AIDS um, joke. it
1: didn't land yeah i mean it didn't land you know she she didn't construct it well and um you know, Because of this confluence of factors, including the fact that she was on an airplane, it became like this party online of people just savaging her and getting so excited for her impending destruction.
0: Mm-hmm. Just for anybody that doesn't know, she was a woman and she was traveling to Africa and she said something to the effect of, uh, I hope I get, I don't get AIDS when I go to Africa, but just kidding, it won't happen because I'm white, basically. And then she got on an airplane and she didn't have Wi-Fi. So for the whole time she was traveling she was getting savaged for being insensitive and being racist or whatever number of crimes you've taken from that interpretation. Anyways, continue.
1: Oh, I mean, I was just going to say, you know, when you talk about cancel culture, like, that's a great example, I think, of, you know, you have all of these things, all of these elements combined to create a really toxic situation that's ultimately, um, I think, bad for everyone involved and, and not based on any kind of an authentic understanding of, what was being said there so yeah you know i mean something that i have enjoyed exploring um in not just this book but in my work as a journalist is you know the question of, of how the internet is kind of negatively impacting our communication in this way um and making it so that it's a lot harder to make a mistake um, because it seems like everything is happening in public. There's always somebody there with a phone to film you or to make a record of it. There's always somebody there to screen cap you. And this is one of these things where a few people doing this can essentially ruin the culture for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we have to still reckon with.
0: Yeah, it's almost like we've opted for that instead of grace.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it
0: is it hard or um hard may not be the right word but um do you find it difficult to transition from like writing fiction like a trick of light to um like you said you got to figure out your thoughts now for non-fiction and if you're going to write about cancel culture or some other topic you have to sit and kind of organize your thoughts and stuff like that do you find those transitions between the nonfiction and the fiction difficult or is it smooth or how do you find it
1: I mean, at this point, I've been doing this for so long. It's, it's, you know, a slightly different writing muscle, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's, um, oh, I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, it's sort of like if you do two two different kinds of exercise and you like and enjoy them both, you know. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's not, I, I don't know that I would say that it's a seamless transition, but it's just, it's just different.
0: Well speaking of exercise though you're you also kind of uh, active on uh, Twitter for doing all the yoga uh you teach some of the classes you do some of the poses and things like that did you do any uh yeah. did you do any yoga or talk to Stan Lee about yoga
1: <laughs> no yoga yoga did not come up in the process of writing this book, although it was what I would do at the end of a long day of writing to kind of uh, you know decompress a little
0: mhm does something like yoga help you with your like organize your thoughts? Um like the way that some people would sometimes go for a walk or something like that. Does that work for you that way?
1: Actually, you know what what I really like about yoga as a counterpoint to writing, which obviously is a very cerebral um occupation where you are kind of rattling around in your own head all day and just thinking and thinking all the time. Um, with yoga, all you are thinking about is the movement of your body and the connection of your breath to that movement. There's really no space if you're if you're doing it right and if you're staying present for your mind to kind of wander off in the direction of whatever project you're working on or your to-do list. And I, am you know, not always the most successful at that, especially if we come into a moment where um, you're supposed to be lying there meditating. And sometimes I start thinking about other things. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm a, a, you know, still, still a work in progress, my meditation practice. Mm-hmm. But what I like about, what I like about yoga is that it forces me to get out of writing mode and to just, occupy a present moment where i'm not trying to construct a narrative or or anything else like that for a little while
0: do you have a favorite yoga pose
1: <laughs> um handstands i love handstands
0: okay why is that a funny question i thought that was like
1: you know it's i it just uh nobody has ever asked me that before and it's kind of delightful to be asked
0: okay yeah how long you've been doing yoga uh let's see
1: i started practicing a little bit in college and then maybe i would say 8 years ago i started practicing more regularly um, pretty much you know maybe maybe three or four times a week so let's let's say 8 years although it's been a little longer
0: all right i'll go with that and as we're wrapping up can you tell me what feminine chaos is oh feminine
1: chaos is my own podcast the video cast on the blogging Heads website i um, do it with a wonderful woman uh, named Phoebe Moss-Bovey, who is a professor in Toronto. And we talk about culture, feminism, um, digital culture, pop culture, and sometimes politics, just sort of through a feminist or at least a feminine lens.
0: Yeah, you guys recently did a really cool one uh, about the phrase, hey guys, uh, and how yes. peop- yeah, how people are kind of taking a front because obviously, like you're both women, so you couldn't go into a room and say, "Hey guys," because uh, that's uh, apparently poor taste or poor form.
1: Well, obviously, people are very split on this, and um, in this case, actually, people are less split on it than you might expect because the video that made this a topic of conversation was responded to with. Would- Probably the most widespread mockery and condemnation that (laughs) I've seen for anything of that ilk on the Internet. So it seems like we've actually reached a consensus that Hey Guys is a regional form of casual address for a mixed group or or not mixed group. Um, It's gender neutral. And everyone's actually fine with that. Which is a, a good example, actually, of to kind of bring things full circle of the internet coalescing in a way that's productive and that allows people to just kind of live their lives, um, which is something I think we could all use a little more of online.
0: Mm-hmm. The discourse worked.
1: Yes, it did in this case. Good for the discourse.
0: All right, <laughs> good for the discourse. Yeah, so the the book, as we said, uh, a trick of light, is out now. Um, like you can buy it in like a physical form, like or hardcover, I guess now, uh, on the Amazon usual spots, and then, of course there's the uh, audio uh, version on Audible. Um. Yeah. And so, again, you're hoping, like you said, down the line, uh, maybe somehow to kind of keep this uh, Stan Lee's alliances universe kind of keep going. So that would be like. I mean,
1: it's hap- it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of keep an eye. You can follow me on Twitter at Cat Rosenfield, and uh, I announce book and other related news there. So when there's something to say about the alliances sequel, I will be announcing it there and uh what's, what's coming up next is new york comic con which happens uh october 4th through 6th i and the other guys luke and ryan will all be there promoting the book we gonna have a panel and maybe there will be a little discussion of the
0: sequel then oh nice do you are you ever interested or trying at this point i don't know if you're allowed to say but uh trying to put out like a, a nonfiction book of some kind your writing is really good
1: um, you know, right now I, I like journalism and I'm working on some other fiction, some novels of my own, um, you know, some works in progress that I've been able to focus on since the release of A Check of Light. So, nonfiction, uh, for now, I think I'll probably be sticking with journalism, but, um, you know, never say never. I, I do like to write, I like to
0: write all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And last question about your writing: Do you use like pen and paper? Do you use a typewriter? Like, what is your approach to uh, writing?
1: Oh, I I use uh, I use a laptop. I use my computer, and I am I I probably should investigate using one of these typewriters. It's like a digital typewriter that's not connected to the internet because I understand that that helps a lot with distractions. Mm -hmm. But for right now, it's just yes, just me and my. In my MacBook.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, um, I've been writing for years as well, and um, the last maybe like two years or three years, I switched and I started just di- dictating everything by voice into uh, Google Docs. And I found that was a way to kind of get faster and organize my thoughts a little bit better.
1: Oh, that's fascinating to me. I would never be able to, to speak the way that I write as easily as it sounds like you're able to. So I'm a little envious
0: oh there you go oh that's cool thank you um yeah so thanks again uh for taking the time uh the book as i said is out now um it's fantastic and i should point out too that even though we did mention both the characters are 17 this is not a young adult novel it's like a novel for like i don't know adults or people who are not young adults or whatever they are like it's for grown-up people people who like adventures people like sci-fi people who like ruckus those kind of things so uh, it's a really solid book. You guys did a great job. Uh, high five to the team. I hope the panel goes well at New York City Comic Con. So thank thanks you, so Kat. Thanks so
1: much for having me. I think, yeah, we, we covered everything.
0: Okay. <laughs> including
1: yeah. yoga. Yeah. I can't believe you managed to work yoga into it. So thanks. This was a lot of fun.
0: That was really cool. I It's um, probably a little bit more fanboyish <laughs> fan than I should have been. But uh, I do like Kat's writing I find that uh I'm drawn to anybody that clearly has had a cup of tea and kind of chills and is able to kind of think about things but convey them in a way that comes off simply but then when you walk away you're like wait a minute that actually had some depth that had some that had some meat to it and then you got to work through it a little bit I like when when that happens and uh cats one of the new writers lately that I've been reading who does a good job of that, she presents things very simply, but then when you actually kind of let it kick around your brain a little bit, you actually find that there's some depth to it. I was super excited to read A Trick of Light. It is um, very much Stan Lee-ish. Uh, you'll definitely see some Stan Lee-ness in the in the book, so that alone is a lot of fun. There's some Mr. Robot elements in there as well, if that's another show or uh, pop culture reference that you kind of dig and in terms of like what i was saying with the conversation that i had with kat is that the this does kind of go full circle where stanley was kind of known for creating one universe the marvel universe and uh, the story goes the urban mythology goes he didn't want to do this whole comic book thing he stanley wanted to write novels he wanted to do serious work and instead went off and created fantastic four and spider-man and all these incredible characters and now he gets full circle gets to do a novel uh, with cat and gets to basically write and and create another universe Uh, but gets to do the serious work and it it is a serious book but there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens in it there's a lot of unique elements as well things that you would surprise you and is clearly like setting up things for future books Uh, this is a universe that is well worth exploring and uh, it it is nice to have his work kind of go full circle. Um, as I said in the interview, to just give us from Peter Parker, a speckled 15-year-old nerd, to this uh, kid Cameron in this book who is 17 years old. Basically like a Professor X with uh, computers. He's able to mentally kind of connect with them. It's really neat. So yeah, definitely if you are looking for a new novel, if you're looking for sci-fi, for adventure, for ruckus... Any of those kind of things, I would I would highly recommend you check out this book. The audio book is also really cool because it actually opens with an introduction by Stan Lee. Uh, one of the few times, we're, one of the last times you'll probably hear him say, Welcome true believers, this is Stan Lee. And that is kind of like, that's already worth the price of admission. It's sad uh, that, uh, I mean he was in his 90s so it was expected that he would eventually go. But it, it's still... Uh, Still a sad passing. We have a handful of pop culture architects, people who really like built up our pop culture. Uh, Walt Disney, Jim Henson, Stephen King. Stephen King is still around. He's one of the few pop culture architects we have left. And just recently reminded us of Pennywise with the two movies. Uh, it, but Stanley as a as a powerful pop culture architect. His work is so impressive. When you look at that group of of architects and you see just just the the worlds and the universes they built and the way they had, the way that they all had to collaborate like Jim Henson obviously had Frank Oz others Dan Lee had Jack Kirby Steve Gitko a variety of, of collaborators it's just, it, it's really impressive and i hope that there's somebody coming up now somebody who's going to create another universe I think that would be the real legacy of Stan Lee is if you could be that inspired and that visionary and able to like big bang a universe into existence, that would be an incredible legacy. And to take that inspiration and that energy and to give it to somebody to like, to give it to these nerds, new nerds basically as a gift. And I think we've kind of seen that with uh JK, was her name? JK Rowling, the Harry Potter lady. She seems to be coming up and coming and created a whole new universe. And I think this is really exciting. I hope that in the future, this is really supposed to be about the book, but I guess I'm rambling now. But I hope that in the future we eventually do get uh, more pop culture creators, more pop culture architects. People that have this vision and just like I said, big bang, incredible new characters and settings and stories and Ruckus. Always, 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 always ruckus. This is a ridiculously long way to say, check out A Trick of Light. It is well worth reading. You will enjoy it. It'll be fun. Check out Kat's work, her writing. It'll be fun. If you want to talk about this episode, if you want to talk about Stan Lee, if you want to talk about Marvel Comics, there's two things. One is I co-host a show called Back Issue Bloodbath. If you search Geek Hard, Back Issue Bloodbath, put it into iTunes, put it into Google, it'll come up. I'm on uh, most of the episodes, not all the episodes. My co-host Andrew needs a break from my puns, which I understand. They're a bit of a, can have a punishment without puns, but you can check that out. And then as well, I'm on all the socials, the Twitter, the Facebook, and the Instagram. They're all my pal Sammy. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Stan Lee. And thank you for listening and hanging out. Comics, yo.